building better relationships at home and at work for people who have more than enough on their plate. Two coaches dangling the possibility of finding joy in your relationships. Do you dare to consider life can be better? Have a listen and tell us why. In this podcast episode, Angela and Patty talk about how to build resilience with social media and viral media while creating caring relationships. And caring relationships means not just with others, but with yourself. It's very hard to use social media and not get sucked into the negative side of it or spend hours scrolling through other people's lives, comparing yourself to them and feeling empty. Yes, it is easy to get sucked into scrolling and not realizing how long you have spent on social media. It can be addicting. Angela, you know what? This past weekend, I went camping with my friends and family with no cell phone access or Wi-Fi access. I didn't even miss it. Being in nature really does calm the soul. The smell of the forest is so awesome. Yeah, it's amazing. I can tell actually from your energy today (laughs) that you've actually been just released something or just being yourself. Social media has been shown in the documentary, The Social Dilemma, that describes from the actual people who invented social media as uh, very damaging to young people and all people. The people who created social media actually speak in that documentary and they don't allow their own children to use social media or to have screens because they actually know how addictive and how damaging social media is. Please have a look at it. Wow, I haven't watched it yet. I was kind of scared to. (laughs) Uh, It might change the way I look at social media and maybe not in a positive way because I do spend time posting and creating on social media for my business. But I do also use marketing tools to schedule posts So I'm not always physically on the social media platforms because you're right. I will get distracted and lose focus on what I had intended to do. That's why I use my scheduling tools to keep me focused on task for my business. Then I have my personal time for social media, which sometimes I can spend too much time on when an hour goes by and I didn't even realize I was on all the platforms I use. Yeah, so my question then is if we are to interact with social media because it is the world that we live in, is there a way that this social media addiction and the dilemma we find ourselves where we're polarised and aggressive with each other, is there a way that this dilemma can create greater awareness of how to become resilient Today, we will explore how to interact with social media and keep yourself focused on the impact that that media and addictive viral media has on how you treat yourself and how you treat others with care or carelessness. When I trained in mass communication, we researched the history 
of documentary and fiction film, radio, creative video, and I also did theatre. And we use the term mass communication, and that represents the beginning of our modern forms of social media and viral media that grew out of these forms of mass communication. The very first form of it was the printing press, which they invented in the 1600s, and that's when the first Bibles and books were printed. So social media came out of mass communication as a way for every individual human to participate actively in all forms of mass communication. So social media was a way for people to create their own stories and to respond to the mass media that was projected to them or about them. So in the beginning with the church, they used to read the Bible to you. In my mother's village in Sicily, they didn't read Latin. So they used to have the priests tell them what was in the Bible because the Bible at that time was written in Latin. So social media was supposed to be our way of responding back to those big organisations that knew how to disseminate information. So in spiritual work, we call this type of collective back and forth of thoughts, words, feelings, emotions, and communication within humanity, mass consciousness. And so I was really fascinated when I discovered this term mass consciousness because it related back to all of my research in mass communication. They're two different worlds. One is spiritual work and understanding humanity. And mass communication was the media. But they have a lot to offer each other about how to control the negative aspects of human thoughts and emotions and also how to make worse the negative aspect of human thoughts and emotions. And that's what we've discovered in our social media. So the difference with spirituality is that it's perceived by society as woo-woo, airy-fairy, new age. It doesn't have the same broadcast appeal or clickbait appeal of conventional mass media, viral media and social media. Social media and all mass media run on the drama of our fears and the insecurity we have in ourselves and as a society. If we see murders or violence, we start to think all humanity is like that. So religion has been a very strong broadcaster of mass communication from the beginning of the printing press. And spiritual teachers have been part of those religions, but are also outside of them. And all of those teachers, whether they come from the religious traditions or outside of them, all of them talk about how to connect to your inner self and master yourself. So if you understand what mass consciousness is, then you can learn how to build resilience. It might not be permanent. It might be something you have to build and practice. However, unfortunately, our culture is so dominated by social media that reactivates our fears every day. It excites the emotions and it makes us addicted to the social media. So that stops us mastering mass consciousness 
and it doesn't give you any skills to build the resilience to navigate the darker side of social media. Angela, please explain to me the term mass consciousness and what it means. Yeah, so mass consciousness is the collective thoughts and emotions created, experienced and projected by humans through all time, through the beginning of human existence. So that includes all literature, all media, all the thoughts your ancestors had, all the thoughts you have, even when you're not aware of you having those thoughts. And some people also refer to mass consciousness as the thought sphere. However, mass consciousness is not just thoughts. It's the emotions and thoughts that have been experienced by humanity through all time. And not just in the written form. Many cultures never used writing. They used spoken word. They used art, architecture. And all cultures had relationships, love, families, communities, tribes. And in managing those relationships, they had thoughts and feelings that deeply determined and impacted those relationships. So mass consciousness is a collective of all these thoughts and emotions. If you ever try to sit and meditate and you hear all of that monkey mind garbage that goes through your brain, that is mass consciousness playing through the radio of your brain. In the 1990s, we had a band called Radiohead. That's what I think of sometimes when I see people meditating and myself and I'm hearing all the noise and chatter in my mind. My head is like a radio tower or a cell phone tower, picking up signals, thoughts, emotions transmitted through all time, not just these days. And all of those thoughts filter through you, whether you're asleep, awake, when you're driving, when you're watching social media, all of them. So here's the rub. Are those thoughts actually your thoughts? Mm. If you actually observe your thoughts, even the comments from people on social media, you will find that they're connected to all the thoughts and emotions of all other human beings. Sometimes when I'm scrolling through YouTube, I read a comment and I go, I, I heard that from another video. That's exactly the same, same thing somebody else said. They're not really my thoughts. They're thoughts that somebody else had. And then I start to pick them up and then I start to see them around me. So anytime, anytime you have a negative thought, I challenge you to question, is that your thought or is it a thought that you picked up from reading some media post? When people talk about disinformation or misinformation, what they are really referring to is the process where someone picked up an idea, a thought, a feeling, an emotion that is not the original intent of the idea that the individual or group sent out in the first place. That is very interesting concept. Patty, have you ever played that game of whispers? Yes. Where you, yeah, I, I've played it as a child and as an adult. And the interesting thing is that there's no difference. It's just as a child, 
I had more fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and well, that's not true, actually. It was different fun. So the whispers game is where you sit in a group of people and one person starts by whispering a phrase or an idea into the first person's ear next to them. And then that person whispers into the person, the ear of the person, of the person next to them. And so each person whispers into the next and the next and the next until you get to the final person in, in the circle, which we next to the person who originally sent out the first whisper. And they say out loud what they heard as the whisper. And always the whisper ends up being something completely bizarre. We used to have a lot of fun, actually. I'm now remembering as an adult. <laughs> we, used to, we used to share information about people in the group. <laughs> and it ended up being somebody else on television. And this is how mass consciousness is. It's not right or wrong. It just is that way. It's simply how mass consciousness operates and has operated from the beginning of humanity. Yeah, Angela, I remember playing the game as well as a kid or as an adult, and it always turned out totally different from what the first person said to the last person. And Patty, I was wondering, did you ever play the game and someone got offended or upset by how it had changed? Do you remember? Now that you mention it, I think so. I think there were some times where people did get upset because it was so way off. It wasn't even close to what the original sentence was. So imagine like if you're posting on social media and then someone comes along and says something about your post, which is completely not what you intended. <laughs> you're going to be upset. Yeah. Right, right. And, and this actually adds, it's like a snowball. All the negative polarization we have, most of it, if, I, if not all of it, that I read in the comments, and I mainly watch YouTube comments, is people going, that's not what I said. That's not what I meant. That's not, that's not right. You're this, you're that. They start getting aggressive mm -hmm. about it. And that aggressiveness I want to address in future podcasts because it really is something that has been a part of mass consciousness. We keep on sending this energy back and out and it repeats and it snowballs and it generates into very um, separate feelings between one person and another person and also between neighbours. And it can result in very extreme situations, even war, genocide and other horrible things throughout history. And we all, we know about this stuff, but we don't necessarily think about how does that happen from me commenting on a social media post? How do I connect to all of these horrible things that have happened in human history? So I wanted to share how in spiritual work, we look at how mass consciousness takes us off our connection to our heart and our true nature. Now, when I studied mass communication, we didn't look at that. We didn't look at the social dilemma, what that documentary is looking at. We didn't think about it. And that made me question at that point when my studies of mass communication, I didn't want to become part of 
a machine or a corporate mass producer of information that would then replicate fear. So it changed the way I ended up working with theatre and performance. So in spiritual work, what we do is we look at mass consciousness as a stream of thought and emotion through all time. And we ask, how do we actually know what is true? If you consider that mass consciousness is constantly a stream of thought and emotion, then what is true? What is the truth? And if you look at the spiritual teachers, they all point to one truth is love. Now that love can express in different forms, but it's not fear. It's not about killing people. It's not about saying I'm better than you. It's about accepting everybody is equal. And that's in all of the spiritual teachings. There's no spiritual teaching I've ever discovered that says we should all attack each other. And in my experience, love is what has saved my life, kept me alive, helped me accept the unacceptable, helped me accept losing people I love through death or breakups. And it's love that has helped me accept why am I here on earth in the first place? Why bother staying alive? But mass consciousness will constantly, through thought and emotion, try to convince you and be very convincing that love is not the truth. And it gives you evidence. Look, here's another murder. Here's another bad thing. Here's another bad comment. So the problem with mass consciousness and what we're now seeing in social media is that it keeps you in the emotion. The emotions are mostly fear-based and they're not very creative or solution-oriented. And it's a cycle of thoughts and emotion that go around and around, but it doesn't look at a pathway forward. So social media and in the social dilemma, they talk about this. The creators of social media created the platforms as a way to share ideas to be creative. However, what becomes viral are the negative ideas and it can replicate more and more negative emotions and thoughts. They're the ones that grab our emotional brain, the amygdala, and they talk about this in the Social Dilemma documentary. So it creates the environment where any good ideas, even if they're wonderful great, fantastic, brilliant ideas will be attacked because that common social arena or the town square has become toxic and too full of negative emotion. And you see this throughout history. There are times I'm thinking of where they started persecuting people in the religious histories. They actually went to war for religion because of that negative thoughts and emotions and that was not what the spiritual teachers were teaching but the humans then went to war and killed people and used religion to justify it but the algorithms of social media are not like our traditional town square where we share these ideas and we come together we talk and we discuss the algorithms take the most emotive content that makes people become reactionary and fear-based and it stops people discussing, sharing ideas 
and the algorithms focus on negative ideas that have now resulted in groups on the internet exchanging vitriolic thoughts and feelings back and forth and it's just an endless cycle. So how do we connect to the truth? Going back to resilience and and to build resilience, you need to have some sense of, of a path out of this cycle. Do we just ignore the suffering of humans, the evil things humans do, or just switch off social media? In spiritual work, we use meditation to help us to connect to that truth of our nature inside of us. But we don't ignore the dark things. You know, switching off social media is good, so you're not in that cycle, but you can't just run away from it completely. We have to look at the darkness within ourselves, and that's spiritual work, which is hard, and it is hard work. (laughs) Angela, is this similar to shadow work? Shadow work comes from the term the shadow self, which was coined by famous 20th century psychologist Carl Jung. This term describes the unconscious part of the personality that our conscious ego doesn't want to identify in itself. Shadow work is a process of inner work in which you bring those unwanted parts to the surface to purify, heal, and integrate into yourself. Your shadow isn't something to be ashamed of or something to hate. It simply points to where you have work to do and where you got to give yourself more love. And that's why I thought it was similar because it's telling you you've got to give yourself more love. Yeah, it's very similar. And the shadow is a part of our mass consciousness collectively as well as individually. So collectively and individually, we've created that shadow from the beginning of humanity. And we resist doing that work on the shadow because we've judged it. We think it's bad and we think humanity is fatally flawed. (laughs) We don't really like to acknowledge that humanity is both light and dark. We can't change that. And that, I think, for, for many of us, including me, I judge that and I still struggle with it in myself. And that's why I do spiritual work. So like you're saying, Patty, if we can start to see our shadow and bring light to it, look at it, love it, not by saying just, oh, that's okay, you're flawed, but actually look at the shadow and engage with it in a more robust or accepting way. Um, instead of trying to cover it up and hide it, then we can start to understand why we have that shadow and understand how it could help us embrace our lightness better. And Carl Jung, one of the ideas he actually brings us is that we incarnated with that shadow to work with it as a way to grow into your light. So it's necessary part of us. Spiritual work is work. If you aren't able to see your inner world that's okay but you can just begin slowly and start with your own thoughts if you don't do any of that work then you can easily get sucked into the drama of the emotions 
projected by mass consciousness in social media. And you get easily sucked into what everybody else is doing. It's just sort of basically how we've always been that way. And spiritual work and spiritual teachers were given to us to help us start to do the inner work, embracing that shadow, understanding it. Because I think for me, the hardest part with my shadow is seeing it and not judging it. So sometimes I see it and then I quickly judge it. (laughs) And then I go in, oh, don't judge it, accept it. And then I have to just go, well, hang on. There must be something I don't like about it. What don't I like about it? And that's where I start to just write or talk to myself, talk to my um, guides and other people that I work with. So a lot of us in that spiritual world, we're the worst at judging others <laughs> in, in the political and the social sphere. And we're also the worst at judging ourselves. We label things good and bad. In real spiritual work, what we attempt to do, and we do do it, after we stop judging ourselves, is we notice when we're triggered. If we're triggered by social media or something on the news or by a certain political initiative, the work is asking why. Why is this media triggering me? There is always a reason any social media triggers you. I'll give you my example and this is just a recent one, I really dislike anti-vax information on social media because it states things in a blanket format that is not at all nuanced. And it gives you information to help you make a choice that they want you to make. And I'm a rebel and I don't like people telling me what to do. So I immediately feel that media is telling me to think like they think and that makes me angry. And I have plenty of friends who don't take vaccines and I understand their reasons. That's fine. This is about me, what I, what I experience when I'm triggered by the post. And on social media platforms, a lot of information that is anti-vax is stated in a way that claims people don't have intelligence, they're sheep, they don't understand what's going on, they don't have the ability to choose, and they tell you what you should be thinking about things. So that gets me really angry. Now, why do I get angry? Is it because I think they are wrong? Yeah, I could say that. That's the surface level. Yeah, I I could say I think they're wrong. But why am I angry? The anger means I'm not at peace with something. There's something underneath thinking that they're wrong. When I look deeper at why do I feel so upset by the anti-vax posts, it was because I had a feeling and a fear or perception that my own intuition was not strong enough. I feared I wasn't resilient, resilient enough to stand up to the fear that was inherent in some of the anti-vax posts, which claim that my intelligence, my intuition, my knowing wasn't good enough to make my own choice. And the irony is that a lot of anti-vax posts are often pro-choice, your choice, but they were triggering in me my fear that I was not competent enough to make my own choice. And that is why whenever I get triggered, I really, really know to ask why. Why am I triggered by this or anything? And if the intent 
of the original post was for people to help make a choice in their best interest, I really do feel I wouldn't feel so angry. Um, There are a lot of people who are anti-vax for good reasons. However, unfortunately, what takes off on social media because of the algorithms and what goes viral are the posts that victimise people and make out others as stupid or as other corporations taking advantage of people and you're a victim. And these are the media stories that have always taken off where there is a victim and a hero, the little guy versus the big farmer. But if we only look at the situation this way, how does that help any individual make a choice, make any choice? How does it help them know what's right for them? How does an individual know what choice to make without then attacking someone else? And that person's choice is wrong. You might disagree, but making them wrong doesn't change that person, doesn't help you, doesn't help any conversation to go anywhere, and it ends up that cycle of the negative thought and emotion that mass consciousness has perpetuated from the beginning of all time. So resilience for me is this. How does an individual listen to their own knowing without feeling they're doing the wrong thing and start to build that knowing, okay, you might have doubts, but are the doubts making you more fearful? Resilience is about getting outside of a cycle where you just are stuck in doubt and you can't make a choice without feeling you have to make someone else wrong or have to attack others. Because if you're attacking, that usually means you don't believe in your own ability to move forward or your strength or your choice and ability to move forward. You feel like someone's taking your freedom away from you. That says you don't feel safe to make your own choices. In the social media, an individual really can't win. That's the predicament that we find ourselves in in our times, instead of a creative place to share ideas, we now have a social arena where you, the individual, is damned if you do (laughs) and damned if you don't, damned if you make one choice or if you make the other choice, you're damned as well. So in my case, how do I make a choice and not feel I have to make others happy? How do I simply say, this is my choice and be happy and not fearful? The only way... I can be happy with my choice, without anger, without fear, is to see why I'm triggered. And then once I saw that I was triggered because I didn't trust my own intuition or believe that I had that knowing, then I saw, well, actually, it's not about them, it's about me. If I feel worried that my choice isn't good enough to withstand the judgment of others, then I won't be able to make a choice. So I focus on building my confidence in myself and my intuition. And the choice then is my choice. There's no emotion. That's just my choice. So the final piece I wanted to share on viral media is particularly fascinating and dangerous. (laughs) The nature of something that has a million views can give you, the individual, the impression that it's more important than you and it's very valuable. Often if you watch those viral posts, you are just watching, you 
if you watch how that media makes you feel, you will get the true impact of that post. So this is an experiment that you can try before you even watch any media in the morning, like don't watch it in the morning because then you get, you get the instant result that my partner did. But before you watch any social media or any news, take a note of how you feel and write it down. This is best done in the morning before you've watched anything. Then go on to social media for five minutes. Put a timer and once the alarm goes, stop. Get off the social media and then notice how you feel and write that down mm-hmm. and be honest. Don't go, oh, I feel really excited and inspired. Be honest. So if you do this experiment over time, you will notice the difference before in the morning, before you even looked at your device or the news or whatever. And after, you'll see the difference. We did it with my partner. And he's, he's some mornings he, he watched The Social Dilemma. And then so he said he wasn't going to turn on the phone in the morning. So then he started turning on the phone in the morning and he got so, in French you say, innovated, um, like your nervous system is angry. He got so angry, he threw the phone away. That was how intense the news was that he was listening to and how, how it impacted him. And the social dilemma helped him to see that as well. Angela, as you know, I don't watch the news. I haven't watched the news in years. It all started because my husband's occupation, he's a correctional officer. So we stopped watching the news. And I really didn't like hearing all the bad stuff on the news anyways. It kept me from not dwelling on the negative incidents that were occurring on the news. I noticed quite a few people would get so fearful from watching the news or listening to it on the radio, especially during the pandemic or any type of tragedy. Trust would be lost within the community and with each other. Look at the hoarding the toilet paper. This is a perfect example of listening to the news and it causing fear. And viral media also acts as an emotional bypass impact on our sense of choice, not just about what we do, our action, but around the way we feel. Like you're describing, Patty, it literally takes over your feelings. So viral media posts that have millions of views play on one comparison feature of our minds where we have a fear of missing out, F-O-M-O, like, like you need to be out part. on toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, and then the other piece of that is you see it on the news, then you go to the store, a physical real-world example where the shelves are empty and it has this impact, fear of missing out impact. That's part of our amygdala, our emotional brain. It's, it's ancient. We have those parts of the human mind that are wired to survive and when all the resources get taken by somebody, we think, what about us? Mm-hmm. The thing with social media, it's not only about the toilet paper. It's about how we feel our emotions. And now social media is saying you have to have a position. You have to have an emotion. You have to be one way or the other. You have to be um, constantly 
stimulated by these posts and be engaged in that reaction. And because there's so many posts, people are exposed to too many stories, many people due to the passive nature of scrolling through social media are actually numb. They don't have emotions because your emotions get triggered, 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 and then a natural response of your emotional system, well, it's too much. So you just switch off. Mm -hmm. So you can then start to watch stories of people dying and have no emotion. So, Patty, you were giving the example of like, I don't want to be impacted, but if you actually overexpose people to another headline and another headline and another clickbait and another clickbait, it actually can numb you. Mm -hmm. And the viral media the clickbait titles leave us very passive that then occasionally trigger the emotion. So you end up never really truly engaging but feel like you're sort of distantly connecting and your dopamine triggers are going off in the brain, you're constantly stimulated through the dopamine channels and it keeps you entertained without really being investing yourself into the situation. So this really leads to our real world relationships, we start to then take that offline to our real world relationships. We become numb to people walking past us on the street. We're disengaged and we avoid looking at our own feelings and we don't look at how our numbness can also impact others. We just sort of get used to it. So I don't want to be all gloom and doom, but I think that negative energy is rising. I don't think I know it's rising. I just have to go on the social media and I can feel it. And I tend to disengage because it's overwhelming. And then I find the positive examples of viral media. My favourite Eurovision band from Iceland um, was that song, Think About Things, from Daddy Frere and his group, Gagno Magno, I can't say it, (laughs) but they do this crazy dance form. And then the Aussie actor Russell Crowe put it on Twitter and then the whole world started to watch it and started to do their dance craze. So that was amazing because it was just a very inspirational moment during the pandemic of 2020 where people got inspired. There are some great things. The danger is there is an increase of that negative aspect of our shadow self in mass communication in all media and I think people are also becoming numb to it and however a lot of the negative impact of viral media grabs our attention precisely because it triggers the negative emotions which attract more clicks on social media platforms and then the algorithms want you to click some more So I wonder, Patty, if we can address some strategies um, to build resilience. But firstly, maybe we need to discuss or you can share what what is resilience? How do you see it? The definition of resilience is the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions or situations. I call these life lessons. 
let's say we are overthinking about a situation that can really take a toll on a person. It could cause depression, anger, suicidal thoughts, sadness, an ulcer, overwhelm, uncontrollable crying, anxiety attacks, and much more. Being resilient is the process of healing and requires constant mental work of positive self-talk and the ability to let go and move on. In Australia, they have started using the term resilience the last five years for adults and young people to help them make decisions and stay strong in the face of adversity and a changing culture, changing workplace, changing school environment. So the word resilience didn't get used so much before the last five years. And Patty, do you have strategies to help listeners start to pay attention to how social media makes them numb, maybe disingenuous to their relationships? Create or purchase a gratitude journal. Each day in the journal, write one or two things that you are grateful for in your daily life. When you practice being thankful for things and people in your life, this helps you appreciate others more, which in turn, you become more caring. Be aware of your emotions and feelings when on social media. Remove yourself from social media if you feel triggered and emotions of overwhelm, comparison, and anger happen. Don't reply to a post when your emotions are high if you do need to respond. Respond back in a couple hours when you have time to cool off. Rewrite your response several times before hitting the reply button for the whole world to see. Ask someone else you trust for honest feedback before replying. And reflect after writing the response. Is it kind? Is it necessary? How would I feel if somebody responded to me with this response? Work on halting the complaining and overthinking about a situation or comparison envy during and after reviewing social media. One thing I do is I skip on the posts that I know that will trigger me. I don't even want to look at them. This keeps me sane. <laughs> Last week I watched this mystery movie and it was so disturbing I couldn't quit thinking about it. I had wished I had never watched it, and I couldn't remove it once it was in my memory. Yeah, I have that problem at night if I watch things that don't make me feel good before sleep. Mm -hmm. So if I have watched anything before bed, I ask in the bed to release that energy into the earth, and I breathe and imagine the energy going out of my body into the earth just asking it to release. And then I asked to dream on something that I want to focus on and that I love thinking about or I'm focusing on in my day life. So I focus on what I want to dream about in my sleep. That's a great idea. I'll have to use that next time because that was very disturbing. I, I mean, I thought about it all night through my dreams and everything. 
stop watching or listening to depressing stuff like the news, TV shows, or movies that make you feel worse. Notice your interaction with others. What are you projecting and what are they projecting? If the people around you are constantly talking and negativity, what are your options to feel good? Spend time with positive, happy, and motivated people. These type of friends and family post positive stuff on social media. Read their stuff. The world needs more of this. Be that person too. Also recite positive affirmations to eliminate any negative thoughts. When we started talking about this topic, we were thinking about how it was like to communicate with care with others when we grew up before the internet, before cell phones and social media. Patty, can you share some of the basics we learned about treating others from the 70s, 80s and early 90s? Sure. Um, Back in the day when we were young, we would pass notes and we would fold them in all cool ways and they were colorful and you spend a lot of time and energy on making the note look appealing and also your words that you put in in your note. We would meet up for lunch and have real conversations while we were eating we would call each other on the house phone with the long cords attached to the wall (laughs) and talk for hours about anything or nothing at all. It was all about knowing someone was listening and were there for you and you were there for them. Yes, when we were in school, we had home economics, auto shop, woodworking, sewing, mechanical drawing and cooking classes and This brought life lessons to you as well. And those were fun activities that you learned together um, as a class or students. You had activities that were more focused on how to do life. And um, do you think that young people today struggle in this social media environment because they don't have some of those basic life skills? Yes, I think it the interaction and physically doing these things at school and together and making things. I remember making this mirror in woodshop and my mom still has it to this day. And I remember making jewelry in one of my classes and, you know, just things that were great. Now sewing, I didn't do very good, (laughs) but You know, you could look at what what you accomplished. The cooking classes, we learned how to cook things and um, how how to actually follow a recipe. Yes, there's Google, there's YouTube, there's things like that that the people can use nowadays, but it's still not the same with uh, relationship connection. You're learning together, you're talking, you know, each person has a task those kind of things you're working together to make something and you're learning from these skills before it's actually thrown on you when you become an adult and you're living out on your own yeah I remember a lot of goofing off as well so if someone was doing woodwork and they (laughs) didn't like it we just sort of make fun of the whole thing and and 
and, and you'd have people the, help you help you right. fix it yeah yeah and then sometimes in sewing I wasn't really good but my sister was so I started learning things from her and then I discovered that actually I did have some skill there and I quite liked it so I was quite surprised as well by doing something I wouldn't have done unless I was doing that skill I I learned something I quite enjoyed and that's today what we're seeing some young people move into adult life without these more tactile hands-on experiences and learning them in an environment that's pretty non-confronting and and having fun with it, doing it with other people. And they're becoming adults without some basic skills, even things like how to put the phone down and not focus on it when you wake up can be a challenge. So young people now are doing adulting classes to learn basics like kitchen, ironing, sewing, all these basics that were kind of integrated into the education system. And also I think there's a lot of new things now about how to deal with social media and to get off the phone. So if you're young and you're looking for more practical tips on those life lessons, we can offer some help on any topics regarding those things in particular in the podcasts. We come from a a different time, (laughs) but we still have to learn as well. And we're happy to share some of those strategies with you. As Angela said, we're coaches and we help with life lesson strategies. If you would like to work with Angela on energy healing sessions or with me, Patty, with life leadership or Reiki healing sessions, we will have them in the show notes, how to reach us. We would love to hear your thoughts about this episode topic. If you enjoyed this podcast, how about becoming a monthly supporter click on the support button in the Anchor app. And thank you so much for listening. Thank you for listening to Building Better Relationships with Angela and Patty. Send us a message and please like or share the podcast or donate with the Anchor Donate button. We really value your feedback.